Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I, I um, actually knew about you from a while ago just because of the language learning community in general, and then I um, heard your both podcasts on the Fluent Show and um, Actual Fluency, and I said, you know, I would love to interview her because... Well, she's another person that's American that's, you know, learned languages. Um, and we don't really have, like, a ton of, like, American females out there. Definitely true. Definitely true. Um, so, I mean, it's like Europe's dominating <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, Europe, Europe is the dominant entity, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's basically going to be, like, free-for-all questions. Um, how did you get started with languages? Well, I think my story's pretty similar to a lot of the polyglots out there. Um, I'm not sure if this is the same for you, Chanel, but in my case, I initially really struggled with learning languages. So, in high school, high school's when I first started learning a foreign language. Mm -hmm. And that was Spanish. And I really struggled with it. I really I had a lot of trouble trying to get it into my head, even though I was doing great in all my other classes. And it was particularly embarrassing because I do have some Spanish speaking heritage. My father is from El Salvador, so mm -hmm. I look like a Spanish speaker. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, I had the same linguistic background as any of the people in my class, which is that we only spoke English at home. So right. I really struggled to figure out how to speak this language, and it took me probably about six or seven years um, to finally become fluent. And I think it's because of that process, because I had to try every trick in the book. You know, I had to try textbooks, I tried apps, I tried classes, because I had to try everything. Mm -hmm. By the time I'd learned Spanish, I felt like I'd kind of become a sort of expert in language learning. And then I mm -hmm. wanted to try applying that to other languages. And sure enough, I applied that to French, and then I applied that to Mandarin. And suddenly, even though it had taken me so long to learn Spanish, I was learning other languages so much more quickly, and it was so rewarding. And mm -hmm. I think that also my ego had taken a bit of a bruising with how bad I was at Spanish for so long, so it felt sort of like a like a comeback. So now I think same as you, Chanel, because I see I always see on Twitter, you know, you're studying a new language every week. Um, it's so exciting just to even to learn a little bit of a new language and just get access to, you know, the structure and a little bit of the culture. You know, I always see that you're cooking new things. I love to do that, too. Like when you start to learn, you know, Lebanese Arabic and then you find out that it has all these interesting dishes and you can sort of recreate the culture. Um, it's so exciting to me. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's I see so much of I want to become native and for me personally, I've been a part of the language learning community for about five years now, but I started later than most people, like as far as studying other languages, um, independently. I was like 38. So, and I'm about to be 43 in a couple of weeks. So for me, it was a little different. I, my first language, aside from English, was American Sign Language. Because mm. I went to school with a bunch of deaf kids. And so a friend of mine taught me sign language because, well, just because I needed something to do. 
And I had like a whole bunch of energy when I was a kid. So my mother didn't know what to do. So she just let my friend take me and show me how to sign. And I became fluent rather quickly. But, you know, as the years went by, I wasn't able to use it as much. So I only remember like a handful of signs here and there, the alphabet. I can still finger spell. I can do basic communication skills. That's the extent of that. And I, I did have Spanish as a child, um, off and on. I actually learned through Sesame Street, believe it or not. <laughs> um, well, at least my numbers and a few other phrases here and there. But I, I was more connected to the language by, like, the music and, like, the food and the dancing. More so than I want to speak this language. So I like the cultural elements of Spanish, but I was more geared towards, oh, I want to speak Italian or French or Russian. Um, and I didn't actually take my first official foreign language until I was in college. Um, I didn't have access to like foreign languages when I was in high school. So uh, other people did. I did not. So, yeah, a lot of people in the U.S., I think um, this is a common story for a lot of us American polyglots because, you know, in Europe, they're so used to learning languages from the very beginning, from their first day that they set foot in school. But in the U.S., a, a lot of states, a lot of cities don't prioritize language learning, right? And, and yeah, in my experience as well, we weren't asked or we didn't even have the opportunity to learn a foreign language until high school. I don't know if that was your case as well, Chanel. Um, actually, I had a taste of Spanish for a week in, when I was in the seventh grade, and then they took me out of it. And a lot of it was because I couldn't read the blackboard, and I couldn't read the textbook. And because I couldn't read the blackboard or the textbook, they didn't realize, oh, well, maybe she might need Braille, or maybe she might need audio. They didn't think of that. So they just took me out and put me in a homeroom for That's that period. So frustrating. But it gave me time to read. <laughs> a lot. But but my whole goal was I wanted to speak Russian or French or Italian and that was in the back of my head for a very long time. And I uh I took Spanish at Cuyahoga Community College in Cleveland, where I'm from originally, and that's because the Eastern Campus only had Spanish ten, 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 twenty, twenty, ten, twenty, twenty. And they might have had Italian and French, but it was like the first semester of it it wasn't like it went through all four semesters otherwise i would have i would have taken it uh, and then they had russian but it was on the west side of town and i didn't feel like checking two buses <laughs> so i just stuck with spanish but i learned everything by ear so i had a como se dice book and then i had the, the corresponding cds to go to it and this is before the internet was like really jumping so i had a black guy that spoke fluent Spanish, Italian, and French. And he was so good at it that he was writing comic books in the language with illustrations and everything. Plus, he was a Spanish history teacher. So he had his master's in Spanish history. And so he taught Spanish K-12. And um, he spent a year over in Spain. And he just... He knew that I had a, a, a an ear for language and politics. So uh, I got through the I got through that whole Spanish. I think it was like twenty seven months. 
But I just kept listening to music because that's what I liked. I, I mean, I might have liked ordering food. That was the extent. Having a conversation with someone was out of the question. Because it was mostly verb conjugations and, you know, uh, you know, the grammar. I picked up the grammar really easily. Me and my friend. We were the only two people that were visually impaired in the whole class. He picked up the vocabulary. So he was able to watch Telemundo Univision and tell you what was going on. And then I was able to correct your grammar. So if you said something wrong, I could tell you that you said something wrong. And I was able to translate from paper what it said in Spanish into English. So we kind of like team tagged in, in class because I got the B's, he got the C's. And they wanted me to go to Mexico or Cuba. And I was like, I don't have a passport and I don't have money. <laughs> So, yeah, I after that, I, I studied theater and, and film after that. So as my undergrad degree. So I um, didn't pick up language again until 2015 um, when I started doing Russian. And uh, that's how that happened. But, yeah, um it wasn't really pushed. And, and if it was pushed, it was mostly do Spanish or French or do German. No one was talking about, let's do like Hindi, Arabic, Japanese, Mandarin, you know. Yeah. Do you get a lot of questions from your American friends asking, why are you learning this language? You know, how is it going to help you with your life? Do you get a lot of that? Oh, I get why do I have a podcast show if I'm not making money or why or why why am I learning all these languages? And because I live in Akron, Ohio, uh, we have a lot of people from all over. So we have a large Lebanese population. That's why I'm learning Levantine Arabic right now. And then we have Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Mandarin, Cantonese. So I picked like and we even have a Thai um, population up in here. And I actually went to a Thai restaurant last summer with a friend of mine. And I needed to order food. So while she was driving, I was sitting up there listening to the Mango app, learning how to order food in Thai in less than 20 minutes. So when I walked in there, I didn't speak English <laughs> to the person. I spoke Thai. <laughs> and they, they invited me to come to their Buddhist temple to practice my Thai. Wow. So I, I realized this little bit goes a long way. And so I've been doing that a lot. Like I've been focusing on like learning how to say basic things in, in all the languages I wanted to, to learn, even if it's at a conversational level. Um, you know, because realistically, when you're going into a place where there's a beauty supply store, supermarket, um, you know, where there's a restaurant, you're going to have to know what you want. And it's not so much about the grammar and it's not so much about the verb tenses. They just want to know what you want so they can help you and move on with what they have to do. And I think I see a lot in the language learning, especially with the young people that's under like 35. They bang their head up against the wall because they think they need to like be perfect at speaking these. And I'm like, no one cares. In reality, no one cares. They're happy learning their language. They don't care about the rest of it. And I just, I think some of that is just a bunch of mental roadblocks for them to put in their way. 
And I was like, you're wasting time. You know, I mean, people don't speak like a textbook. But, oh, I need to take a class or I need to. I don't do that. <laughs> I, so I, true. And I think that a lot of people forget also, this is something that gives me a lot of comfort that, you know, like you said, people don't speak like a textbook and there's so many different dialects and different accents of every language that sometimes if you do have a little bit of an accent or if you say a funny word, there's often a chance that a native will think, oh, this person's just from, you know, a different dialect or this person just learned a different dialect of my language. This happens to me a lot with Spanish and with mm-hmm. Mandarin. If mm-hmm. I say something a little bit weird, people will say, oh, uh, are you from the South? Or like, did you learn your Chinese in the South? And so if people are worried about making mistakes and sounding silly, it's it's definitely it's not how they perceive you when you make a mistake necessarily. They might just think, oh, that person learned their language in a different part of my country. Have you ever had um, someone mistaking you for um, not American? Yeah, definitely. Um, although I have to say, once I open my mouth, it's uh, it can be pretty clear. I think my my best achievement is with Spanish when my interlocutor was a little bit drunk and uh, I think I could, I think I lasted about two minutes, two full minutes of talking before he said, wait, where did you say you were from? (laughs) And that was, that was my proudest achievement. But, and I guess in China, in China, because there are so many dialects and because there's so many different languages, I can actually pass sometimes. Um, I'll, I'll last for about a minute and then they'll look at me and they'll be like, wow, you really don't look Chinese. And they'll say, oh, are you from the West? You know, are you from the West where there's a lot of people that actually do look like me that are less Asian looking and uh, have darker skin? So right. I can last probably about a minute is the longest that I've ever lasted. And that's after, you know, a lot of lot of work that I've put into pronunciation. So, yeah, I, I think it's really important. I'm so glad that you're talking about this. It's really important to tell people that that doesn't have to be the goal to, to be mistaken for native um, you can get so much enjoyment out of learning the language, even if you're always going to have an accent. Well, and then there's so much, they're hung up on the idea that they need to be perfect when they speak. And then you have the ESL learners that think they need to be perfect when they speak English. And I'm like, do you understand that I'm a native speaker of English and I was born and raised in the U.S. and we make mistakes every day? <laughs> and they don't, and they don't. I I think the problem is is confidence. You know, they don't have enough confidence in themselves. They think that everything is supposed to be from a textbook, a grammar book. Well, okay, do you speak like that in your native tongue? No. Then you don't speak like that in English. Oh. (laughs) But there I, I know when I did Russian and I you know, I was obsessed. And I tell people this, if you want to be successful at a language, don't look at how many hours you put in. Don't look at the time. Just enjoy the process. Because I started speaking from day one because I felt like that was what um, helped me improve. Even I was making mistakes, I would record myself on Facebook and shoot videos up in Russian. Join Russian groups, speak to Russian people constantly. You know. I mean, I still have Russian friends until this day. I actually have an ex-boyfriend that's Russian. And I knew I was highly proficient when I spoke to his mother. And his mother doesn't speak no English for three hours. 
No headache, no nothing. I felt like I was at home. <laughs> Literally. Um, I haven't talked to him in a while. I actually do need to call him now. Um, but we would, what he would do is I helped him get to like a B1 level in speaking English. He took the TESOL in Russia. And he, he, on his speaking, reading, and writing, he was at a B1. But when it came to listening, he was, it was, it wasn't as good. And I said, well, see, that's all you need to do is work on your listening. Just keep listening to as much stuff as you possibly can. Because, you know, he was one of those people where nothing interests him. And so we have to find something that interests you. You know? Um, that's important when you're learning a language. If you have the same hobbies in your native tongue, flip that and use it to learn your language. You know, learn about the same hobbies in English. You know, do the same thing in English as you would Russian or whatever other language you're learning. Because that way it gives you motivation to keep going. You're not just like, I need a textbook. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> you know. That's so true. And I definitely, I always hear from people that have really been successful in learning a language that it happened because they were really passionate about something in that language. So I know that you were on Kirsten's show, The Fluent Show. And she was explaining to me that one reason why she became so fluent in English, and she really is astonishing at English, um, yes, yes. is, right, um, because she was very passionate about um, English language rock music. And she was really interested in getting to visit all those forums. And similarly, I know so many people, excuse me, <clears throat> who are fascinated by Korean culture and Korean music and Korean shows and it's just astonishing how quickly they can learn because they're very passionate and they're they're constantly immersing themselves in the videos and they're reading all the forums that they can. So you can move you can move so quickly, you can learn so quickly when you find something that you're passionate about within that language. Otherwise, like you said, you can't really enjoy the process. And if you can't enjoy the process, you're not gonna get very far. And it's it's funny too because the first thing people are, are you fluent? I was like, okay, you do realize that fluent actually does mean how you how well you speak the language, like how well it comes out of you. <laughs> and proficiency is how much of the language you actually know, and you can express. And so, I said, I know when. I turned on Leo Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace by Nari Mir, uh two years ago. And this is after spending 5,544 hours of listening to nothing but everything I can get my hands on in Russian. Podcasts, Putin speaking for four hours at a time. I, I actually had to pick somebody that I wanted to emulate or I wanted to I like their voice and because I like the way he speaks I picked him <laughs> I was watching Russian TV on the RT channel from 6am to midnight 7 days a week for a whole year wow I mean I had it in the background I would fall asleep to stuff I didn't read no books 
I read, I read the newspaper. Um, I use Michelle Thomas. I use Russian Made Easy. Um, I use Memorize. Like I did the first, I did like the first six years of it on Memorize. I think I didn't do chapter year three, but I, I did the rest of them. And of course, stuff was repetitious. So I did all that. And I just spoke and I listened a lot. And it got to the point where one day I just went and turned on War and Peace. I just said, I want to know how much I can understand now. I literally got through the first chapter of War and Peace without any translation in my head. Zero. I was so happy. I was crying. Wow. It took me two and a half years, but I did it. And then, well, Italian and French and Dutch are passive. Like, I have high reading levels in all those languages. Like, I can actually read Les Mis in French. And, um, you know, I love French cinema since I studied film in college. And French food and culture and fashion. So, for, for those reasons, I enjoy learning languages just based off of that alone. And singing the Disney songs. And watching movies in French. So for me, French comes easy, Italian comes easy, Dutch comes easy because it's a dramatic language. But I think for some people people ask me, how do I do it? And I'm like, well I just I'm just motivated. I like to learn. I'm like Luca Lampriello. I like to learn for the sake of learning. Not because I want a degree in it or because I want you know all the certifications that's great but it's not that's just a temporary fix like you know you're basically basing a test score off of what you know right then and there I mean how much of that can you really produce verbally to somebody you know have a conversation go shopping be able to navigate give directions so forth you know normal stuff to be able to survive and in whatever environment you're going to be in. And if you can actually do that, that's, that's a plus. But if you're only doing it because you want, you know, to reach C2 or I was like, okay, you do understand how long it takes, right? Depending on the language, that takes a while. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and if any, people get worried any, that the goal is too far off, then they might give up. Yeah, and like I watched this video recently that Luca did about native fluency versus C2. And I said, well, first of all, we're not native of other people's countries. We're learning their languages, but we're not native. We can aspire to get to a high level in speaking the language, writing it, reading it, understanding it. But we will never be native because we weren't born there. Like we might be able to pass for a little while. But that's only a little while. Even a native knows when you're not native. Because there's experiences that they experience culturally that you didn't experience because you didn't grow up in that environment. And he actually brought that up in a video. And he also brought up the whole C2 thing. And I said, well, okay, unless you want to be a nuclear physicist and you want to be able to speak Mandarin and, you know, create a bomb that way, using nothing but Mandarin, you know, yeah, that's C2. 
is it really, you see what I'm saying? Even people that are native English speakers, you know, unless you're going into a particular field of study and that's what you're teaching, good luck with that. Most people aren't even at C2 in that way. Not, not when it comes down to, you know, language proficiency. You know, so, I mean, it just depends on the amount of education someone has, all their experiences, so forth and so on. And honestly, I know for me, I do get annoyed when I hear that from people because it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do after you get to that point? What's your next goal? You know, do you want to travel? Do you want to use the language? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to write a movie? Do you want to make a movie? Do you want to, you know, make some food, get married, live in the country, you know, start your own business in the target language, something. Something tangible. You know, because that's a piece of paper. It only shows what you know right then and there. At that time. And how much, I mean, honestly, how much, I I don't even remember. (laughs) I remember a lot in college, but I don't remember everything. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, I, I see how, especially on the internet, like, in all these different groups. This is what they want to strive to. And I said, okay, well, why? Do you plan on doing something with it? You know, okay, do you want to learn, if you want to learn like business English because you want to work at a Fortune 500 company, that's understandable. That You can learn that. That's something that's tangible. But, Honestly, like, there are people even in the U.S. that aren't Can't even... Can't speak business English. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. But yeah, I get right that people, if they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be setting goals that aren't actually in line with, you know, they shouldn't be setting language goals that aren't in line with their life goals. I think that's a, that's a very good point. Um. I'm just curious to know, um, what made you want to create your own um, translation company? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, ironically, I really did not want to become an entrepreneur. I had actually always very much liked working in an office, you know, having a mentor and having having colleagues. Um, but I actually I ended up moving to Korea uh, about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a job there, so I started freelancing as a translator. I was mm-hmm. doing Spanish and French into English, but I was getting all these requests for Korean translation just because I was in Korea, and mm-hmm. I was not yet good enough at Korean to be able to translate. So I'd get those requests, and I'd just pass them on to my friends, and it just kind of snowballed. I started getting so many requests for Korean translation. They were very happy with the work of my colleagues. Um, that it started growing up around me. And eventually I realized, oh, my goodness, I think I think I'm running a business. So I better I better incorporate and get some legal protection. So I incorporated the business and started, you know, basically Googling, like, how do you run a business? How do you set up a structure? How do you you know, how do you advertise? How do you market? 
And I was really lucky with my first few hires that I was able to find people that knew a whole lot more than I did about right. how to do, you know, their respective tasks. And, uh, and from there it kept on growing and, um, it's, it's been a wild ride, but it's really gratifying. It's so gratifying. And the best part, which I'm sure you can relate to is just having access to all the languages, you know, as the, as an entrepreneur, I don't necessarily have to get into the nitty gritty anymore. I'm not doing translation mm -hmm. myself anymore, but mm -hmm. I can see all of the documents that pass through our company and I get an access to all these different languages and all these different industries. And uh, yeah, as a, as a true dabbler, and that's a really, really fun part of running this business. Now, I'm just curious because um, a lot of people, like I know that Jan's Vanda R of Language Boost, and Lang Prenner had, um, he has his own translation company with, uh, a colleague of his in, in the Netherlands. And he was like, I know nothing about translation, but, you know, this is, you know, I, I, I know someone that knows how to do this and, you know, we, we're doing pretty well with it, you know, and, and of course, because he, he learned Mandarin, that was like the first language aside from English that he learned, um, you know, in like two years, he was able to have contacts and, and, and whatnot in mainland China. And, uh, you know, people needed translation work. And then he kind of finagled from that to hooking up with Lucas Spaghetti and creating language boost and then hooking up with Ollie and doing Lang Premier and helping people, you know, start their own language learning businesses and, um, if you had to give, you know, advice to someone that's never like done this before, what would your top like five or six tips be for starting a business? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I guess, um, one of the most important things for me, although not necessarily for everyone, but, um, was to really know the product or to really know the service that you want to sell intimately well. So for me, because I was a translator, I knew what I was going to be selling. And mm -hmm. even though I'm not translating anymore, I had to know that really well in order to grow it. So, you know, the way that I started was I started as a freelancer and then I started working with a few more freelancers and it grew from there. But it was great that it grew so slowly that I could still for a really long time really understand all of the parts of the process. Like, okay, what is it going to look like when I interact with the translation client? What is it going to be like for the translator when they get the document? You know, what kind of technology can we use to speed that up? What kind of technology can we use to improve the quality? I had, I was basically the quintessential micromanager in the beginning, and I had to learn how to not do that in order to actually grow the business. But in the beginning, I think it really is good to be a micromanager, to really understand intimately whatever you want to sell, whether that's translation or whether that's language courses or whether that's, um, you know, advertising on your podcast. Um, it's good to really know it well so that you later know how to delegate that and later know how to best market it. Um, I know for a fact, like right now, I've been on the air for about two years now, and I have like 12.6K listeners in over 102 countries so far. Wow. And and for me, it's a small, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting one country, let alone 102. So for me, it was like a big, huge deal. You know, people are still listening to me now, you know, and, you know, I'm just telling it from my perspective, you know, how 
I learn languages and interviewing other people, how they learn languages. Because, you know, I use a lot of free content or I hook up with people and do marketing and advertising for them. You know, like right now I'm still working with Michelle Thomas um, Method out of Boston, Massachusetts up until September. And, you know, I'm reviewing their courses. Um, I just reviewed their Korean starter course Wednesday. And I actually can say without a shadow of a doubt that I used the mango course for Korean last year. I did like three, three weeks worth of Korean. And for some reason, I don't know if it was because I, it didn't stick in my head very well. Um, you know, I was too busy trying to play with my brain and see how much I could learn in, in a fast amount of time at the time. Um, I was trying to learn a whole bunch of languages, like, over the summer. Um, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, and and I got away with maybe getting Cantonese done in six weeks, Hindi done in six days. And that was because I was just, like, once I touched it, I didn't want to stop. It was like a, it was like a drug, you know. Yeah. And... and, and for me, personally, I just wanted to see how fast I could learn something, just for my own benefit. Mm. And then I did a little bit of uh, Finnish and a little bit of Icelandic, and I did a touch of Greek. And then I realized I'm not going to Greece anytime soon. Okay, that's over. Um, I tried it. Uh, I tried Korean. Oh, this ain't happening. Even though I do go to a Korean hair store to get my shampoo. So I said I came out of there with probably a couple words in Korean. Now I know more because I I took the time to review the course, the starter course. And I actually learned more using the starter course than I did using the mango course. Mm-hmm. So for me that it it uh, you know, I didn't want to give up on it entirely, but I guess at the time I, I just wasn't as motivated as I thought it was. And but it's I, tough. Don't worry, Korean is tough. Actually, I didn't find it to be that hard. Speaking it. Like, I don't, I, and I, I have to uh, kind of re- reiterate on that. I learn most of my languages by ear. So I don't write, I don't take any notes down unless it's mental notes. Um, I do a lot of listening. And I do a lot of speaking. That's how I learn all my languages. And everything is by ear. So I have no print anything, zero, all audio. And so for me, um, I visualize it in my head, like the word order. So like they say John went to the store or John plays tennis or whatever, whatever John does. Um, I just, um, let's see, John Bailey Bog, um, Mo, Moreno, more, yeah, anyway, (laughs) something, 
I, I figured out how to say to eat at some point, like a couple days ago. Um, but, that. Nay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for me, like, oh. I learned more just by using that course than I did using the other course. And I think it was just because of the way that it was structured. Um, you know, I tried it and I, well, I mean, I got like Bico American and, um, Isayo and, <laughs> I got a few I got a few things out of it. But I mean I know more now than I did before. And it gave me a better appreciation for like Asian culture as a whole. Um I did try Mandarin. I wasn't it didn't gel with me, but Cantonese did. Interesting. What did you like yeah, about Cantonese? I love Cantonese too, but I feel like it's so overlooked. What did you like about Cantonese? I like the way it sounds. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like, um, Joseon no Gapam Yang, um, hi, um, Guan Song no Gapam Yang, um, oh, set gone, still still Guan Song no Gapam Yang, um, Ungay Sai, um, no Gapam Yang, um, bye bye, um, oh, that's so good. Wow, yeah, I mean, you learned a lot have, just from the audio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I probably will go back because I, I I actually did six weeks. I did it like all ten chapters on Mango in six weeks, and my whole goal was to go and order food over the phone. Mm-hmm. So I called a Chinese restaurant here in Akron called Garden Garden China or something, and I went. And I decided I wanted to order some barbecue beef bun in Cantonese. So I went and introduced myself, and I ordered the food, and I gave my telephone number and address in Cantonese. That's how much I was invested. Awesome. And she laughed. She laughed. (laughs) She said, we don't have that in the U.S. That's only in Hong Kong. I'm like, what? (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, she probably thought you were, she probably thought you were like Cantonese or from the Cantonese diaspora. And wow. And she was like, I speak Mandarin, but I understood everything you said. You need to keep going. Oh my God, your oh, Cantonese no. is so good. And I was like, oh, guys, I um, sing song. <laughs> no, um, noisy. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, but she, I mean, it really, I I realized whatever languages I really like, I remember the most. So even if I just do it for six weeks, I'll still remember stuff because I liked it. You know, there was something about it I liked. But I, I also like cinema. And I'm really getting into Asian cinema more. So, like, I'm watching, like, Three Women in a Bed. And I watched that, like, five times in a row. And then... um I watched this one movie from Thailand called Still, and it's like a, it's like one of those uh, thrillers, psychological thrillers. But it was really good. Like I, I did it with English subtitles, and I had voiceover read it to me, read the subtitles out loud in English while I was watching this movie on my Apple TV, and I'm like, this woman's crazy. <laughs> I mean, but I, I really got into the whole 
art side of it. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to keep going with this because I really do enjoy it. And then I said, I want to order some food in Thai. And I did. I ordered me some Singapore noodles and some Thai tea. And um, I was just completely happy that I, you know, I might have made a couple mistakes when I was, was speaking, but the girl didn't mind because she was like, your Thai is not bad at all. I was like, oh, I speak Spanish too and a whole bunch of other languages. And come to find out, she lived like three blocks away from me when I was living in like California like 14 years ago going to film school. Like, wow. Really? And so like now she's like 18 miles away here in Akron. And um, I was like, wow, that's like freaking awesome. I, you know, and I tell people all the time, you never know who you're going to come into contact with when you speak another language. Yeah. And what, what that connection will do for you. I mean, it give you a really good high to keep going. Um, and I, I, you know, even if I speak a little bit, people just go crazy. I speak a little bit of Arabic. I ordered me some food in Egyptian Arabic at a Latins here in Akron and I ordered my food and everything. And it, they were like, when you come back, you can speak to our manager in Arabic. I'm like, oh, that's I, great. I mean, and I, for me, I guess that's what I try to convey to my listeners. You know, just go out there. So what if you mess up? No one cares. And it feels so good, right, when you have that interaction. And, and you know, you really made the staff smile. And when they said, you know, you can talk to our manager, like, that gave you an opportunity to have this interesting new cultural interaction, right? Like that's, that's why I learn languages. Even if I'm not going to get beyond that, you know, small conversation, once you've had right. that small conversation in another language, you're like, wow, I just, I just talked to someone in Thai. Like how badass is that? You know, it's such a good right. feeling. It, you don't need to be native to have that great feeling. No. And I, I think a lot of people, they look at it. Oh, well, you're not, you're not, fluent in the language or highly proficient then I was like well you don't have to be that's the thing like and these are people that don't even speak languages you know other languages other than English and I'm like do you realize how many doors this has opened up for me as a result of you know speaking other languages you know um people are like how do you do how do you keep them separated well that took some time I don't. Hi. I still have not figured out how to keep them separate. I I mix them up all the time. Um, I found that if you're at the same level as the one language you haven't used in a long time, you have to like literally not. I, I kind of have to block out. I had to block out Spanish, and I had to keep going with Russian in order for me to improve upon my Russian. Because if I didn't, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um. But I did realize I was fluent in Spanish when I was having a two-hour conversation with someone. I might have not remembered every single word. But after I got off the phone with the person, I had a migraine headache for two hours. And I was supposed to work with a student from Colombia. And I said, can we talk tomorrow because I'm not feeling well. Um, I have a headache the size of Nettleek. And she was like, oh, my God. And I interviewed Dr. Stephen Krashen last year. And I, he said, you know why you had a headache for? And I said, because I was forcing myself to speak a language that I wasn't comfortable with. Speaking. I really, I don't feel comfortable really speaking Spanish. I feel comfortable singing to it. But not so much having 
to give explanation for this and this, you know, because it's it wasn't the language of choice for me, so I didn't, you know, I, I mean, I feel more comfortable speaking something that I've chosen to learn myself than being forced to have to learn it for a degree requirement or, you know, which is what I had to learn Spanish for was a degree requirement. Nothing more than that. But like I said earlier, I enjoy the cultural aspects of it. I just, I'm, no me gusta, um, hablándolo, que mucho. But, you know, I just, I mean, I can speak Russian all day. You know, I want to get to the point where I can speak Levantine Arabic like that or any of the other languages I'm passionate about. Um, and I found that I'm more passionate for languages of the East, not so mm-hmm. much the West. Um, mainly because my mom had thrilled in me a lot of African and Asian influence. In our house, we had all kinds of stuff from like Asia and Africa. And so for the longest time, I was reading up on books and history and all that. And I said, I would love to learn how to speak some of these languages, even if it's a little bit. And, um, yeah, so now I'm learning Swahili, basic Swahili. That's something that I would really liked, you know, when I started following you on social media, something I was really happy to see was that you were so unafraid to try out these, you know, Asian languages and these languages that are outside of the normal languages that the polyglot community goes after. But you were doing Thai, you were doing Levantine Arabic. I thought that was so great that you were helping to normalize that and helping to show people, look, it's not it's not that hard. Like, yes, it's a little bit harder than learning, you know, Esperanto. But it's completely accessible. You can still get a lot of joy out of learning a language like that. And, you know, people think that I'm, I don't read anything other than Harry Potter, but I do actually read <laughs> Harry Potter. But I, I, as a geek, I really like comparing the different versions of Harry Potter, like how they're written, like mm. in each language, yeah. because every translation is different. So, for me, I get pleasure out of that alone. And you're like, why? I'm like, because I, I'm a geek like that. I, I like books. I like to read anyway. I mean, but I like biographies, memoirs, history, you know, fantasy and romance and, you know, all that type of stuff. So, for me personally, you know, um, I said if I, if I learned some basic Swahili, that, that would mean something to me. You know, because it's a cultural, uh, a heritage language for me. And then I'm learning basic Irish, and I mean only basic, um, because I have a quarter Irish in my bloodline. And I used to fight wouldn't learn Irish because I didn't think that it, I had any relation to it. Come to find out, I do. <laughs> so, I, so I said, why not? Just why not? And um, I actually got an opportunity to interview um, Patricia McOwen. Um, again, um, for um, the show, and she created with her um, co collaborator um, the Michelle Thomas Irish course. And so I did an interview with her, and uh, everyone's like, Your Irish is pretty good. I'm like, Oh, well, thanks. You know, um, so I said I would learn a little bit this summer, this spring, and since we're on lockdown for coronavirus. 
Why not? I mean, yes. Have I gone out to go grocery shopping? Yes. Are you only allowed 10 people on the bus? Yes. Do you have to have a mask on? Yes. Are there people that are wearing masks in the stores? Some are, some are not. So, you know, I protect myself pretty much with a mask and I have latex gloves on. I have my guide dog, you know, and I do my thing. And I come home and I take my gloves off and I rewash my hands, even though I know I didn't have to, but I still do it anyway. And to be honest, like, I live in a senior citizen building, so no one in here has it, thank God. Mm. That's how much of a lockdown. I mean, you can have a visitor come, but they have to have a mask on. You know, you have to be six feet away from each other. You know. So... I'm like, I don't have any visitors. Uh, no. <laughs> but I do keep myself quite busy. Like by working out three days a week, cooking all kinds of stuff. I just cooked my first pound cake in a loaf pan today. It came out moist on the inside. It was a little dark on the outside, but it, it still came out pretty good. Um, but yeah, I've been doing a lot of cooking, as you can see, and I've been, mm-hmm. I've been, I've been working out, and I, you know, because when you don't, you can't really go, you're isolated, and you can't really go anywhere hardly. Um, you know, I try to look at it like, well, I have plenty of time to do X, Y, and Z. I can work out and get in shape, because I know people they're gaining weight being on, you know, lockdown. It's like. Dude, I got exercise mat, I got weights, I got exercise DVD, I got a treadmill, I got my guide dog. Okay, guess what? I'm going to work out because I'm going to get back into my size 10, which I'm not that far off. And, you know, I, I try to tell people on here, you know, try to do something that will distract you from watching the news. Um, You know, read a book. You know, create a new hobby. Binge watch something you haven't binge watched in a long time. I know I've been watching a lot of different shows. Like, I just got finished watching Ozark Mm. on Netflix. And I've been watching a lot of Netflix stuff, a lot of Hulu stuff, a lot of other movies. And the time goes by. And I do communicate with people, you know, as well. I don't know how it is over in China right now with you guys. Like, you know, as far as the, you know, being quarantined and not being able to, like, travel as much. Or did they lift the ban yet for you guys? Yeah. Yeah, so China's in an interesting kind of in-between phase right now where they have finally lifted a lot of the restrictions. And we can pretty much move around pretty easily now. We can go to restaurants. Uh, we do have to wear masks all the time, but um, one of the reasons why they've, they can do that is that they've actually closed the borders of the country. So no foreigners can enter China. If you're already here, that's fine. But if you leave, you can't come back. So it's an interesting kind of in-between time where we'll see if we can maintain this, this status of so far being, you know, pretty, they're pretty close to virus free. There's still a few little outbreaks here and there, but but we're really optimistic. It's starting to look like there may be, there may be a, a light at the end of this tunnel. 
Well, that's good because I know here, I know in Ohio, we have almost 22,000 people that have it. But then we had like almost 1,100 or a little bit more than that that had passed away. And it was like ages 75 and up that were dying. And a lot of them were in nursing homes and whatnot. I'm just like, I just feel so bad because, you know, of people's, you know, they can't be with their family member. You're not allowed to go to the hospital. It's just, you know, you can have a funeral, but it only could be 10 or 20 people. Mm. Yeah. It just makes you really think about how fragile life is and you just, yeah, I, I feel so bad for people right now. I just, I really do. I, a cousin of mine passed away a couple of weeks ago. She was 74. Oh, and, oh, thank you. Um, heart failure. She wasn't mm-hmm. feeling well. Her daughter took her to the hospital. Um, before she can say anything, her heart stopped. They revived her. They put her in ICU. She wound up passing away the next day. I was like, and, and that's another thing people aren't realizing. People aren't just dying from COVID-19. They're dying from other right. things, too. And, and right. it's just, it's it's very, you know, I mean, yeah, we're all going to leave here one day. But, I mean, the rate that people are going, <laughs> just in general, yeah. I'm just like, this is just sad. It's, I mean, it's almost half a million people that have died worldwide. And then you got almost a hundred thousand here in the U.S., but we got one point four million or something like that that might have it. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'll stay at home. I'll just have my stuff to learn. Well, so do you feel like you're lucky because because you're ready to stay at home and you have these activities that you already know how to do, like learning languages? You're already very proficient at you know, figuring out your own study plan. You don't need to go to a school. Do you feel like you're well-equipped now to, you know, mentally face this pandemic and that we should be helping others do the same? I I think we should be. Now, I mean, I've tried to give advice to other people, especially in the blindness community. And me being African-American, me being visually impaired, having partial vision, um, you know, for a lot of the people that I speak to, they have no vision at all. And so they, they might live by themselves, but they don't have access to transportation. But then I say, well, wait a minute. You have an iPhone, right? Or you have an Android. Can't you find out where the nearest bus stop is via your cell phone or your computer? You can get the address. You can plug it into your phone. You can have talk back or voiceover you know, direct you on how to get to where you need to go. I mean, you have ways to get there if you can't do Uber or Lyft or someone take you. You see what I'm saying? Because you're not going to always have that. And someone actually had the audacity to say that I had it easy. And I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have have it easy. I live by myself. Um, You know, I have to walk up at least almost a half a mile to the nearest bus stop. Um, you know, I have to get on the bus, you know, travel one direction, maybe less than 20 minutes. But then if I'm going on the other side of town, it's two buses, you know, 
to get to where I need to go. And to be honest, if I'm gone at 8 in the morning, I'm back by 2. That's six hours worth of working time. That's not even that's not even talking about the amount of wait time you got to wait for a bus. Anywhere between 20 to 40 minutes, depending on if you miss the last bus. So, and because of the pandemic, they're only allowed 10 people on the bus at one time. You have to have a mask on. Um, the stores is at their discretion if you wear a mask or not. And some people are wearing masks in the stores and some people are not. And someone actually said today, why don't they have everybody wear a mask? And it was happening for a while here in Ohio, but then people were complaining because they claim it was health reasons why they couldn't. I was like, you can breathe through your nose, right? It's, I, I, you know, you're not only protecting yourself, but you're protecting other people. You might not have it, but you don't know. You just need to be safe. But, yeah, that's been know, really interesting we, to watch from Asia because, you know, Asia is already a mask wearing culture. They already wear it. If you have the flu, if you have a cold and you have to go out, you always wear a mask. It's just seen as respectful to the people around you. But right. it has been really interesting to see how much Americans have pushed back against the mask, even when they're told, you know, that it's for the good of the people around you. Americans are still not ready to accept that. I know there's been a lot of changes and a lot of people are doing that, but but it's been interesting to see how hard it was to convert our culture to doing this thing that's actually, you know, in the public interest and is very clearly a sign of respect for your fellow man. Right. And I mean, you know, they act like they won't they won't get it. I'm like, just like black people here in the U.S. thought that they were immune to it. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, wow. You're so stupid. I, I literally... I, I had to sit there and laugh. I was like, wait a minute. And black people are dying at a rapid rate of COVID-19? Come on. We're not immune to this. This thing don't discriminate. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so now they're realizing it don't discriminate. But a lot of people in the African-American community, people that are Latina, they're dropping dead left and right. You know, and it's, it, yeah. And it's sad because, you know, some of them live in the areas where it's not, um, like, they don't have the best access to food, good food. And then they don't have access to proper medical care and health care. And, I mean, I, I get disability, but I also get you know, I also have Medicaid. So, you know, I'm able to go to the doctor and I do get food assistance and I do eat very healthy. Now, it's all about what you buy, you know. And if you're not willing to eat healthy, then I don't know what to tell you. But at the same time, it's like, I think, people tend to uh, think that it's okay to just believe what they hear on TV and not like check their own facts. You know, 
I would rather fact check to make sure that this was accurate before I believe that, oh, I'm immune to something. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, I mean, it's a shame, but they weren't, they were doing a lot of testing, but they weren't testing like demographically to see which demographic of people were getting COVID-19. And when they, when someone did, then they, they started to realize that the African American community and the Latina community was being hit hard by it. And I yeah. think some of it's just because of the underlying conditions, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, uh, high cholesterol, the asthma, you access know. to health care. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this ain't don't discriminate. And I mean, I've heard a couple people talk about, you know, how they're doing, you know, dealing with, you know, not being able to go anywhere hardly. Um, I don't know if you signed up for the Polylot gathering or not online. I did. Yeah. I'm so happy it's online. I didn't think oh. I'd be able to go, you know, since I can't leave China until they open the borders. But um, right. yeah, so I'm so excited that, that they're doing yeah. it online. Yeah, I paid for my ticket on Wednesday when I got my stimulus money. I was like, that was the first thing I did. I went went and I paid for it. And then I went and got the Swedish foundation course from Michelle Thomas. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I used my own discounted code to get $35 off. (laughs) And um, I I, uh, was so excited about it because I was like, oh, well, this would be the second time that I, I would have participated in uh, a language learning event online because I participated last year in women in language for the first time. Right. And I was, I was so inspired by that alone. I had met so many cool people and networked and got a whole bunch of people to come on the show and made friends that way. And it was just so great. And I kept asking everybody, I was like, okay, so when are you guys going to go virtual at some point? When are we going to have more virtual conference? Because that's another thing. I don't know if you have problems with that or not. Um, you know, a lot of people can't travel to every conference. You know, they yeah. And especially if you live in the U.S. If you live in the U.S., um, some people can, some people cannot. And there's a lot of people that can't because they don't have a passport. You know, I mean, it's the U.S. I don't know how many people actually think that they need to leave the country unless they want to go to Mexico, Canada, the Bahamas, you know, Panama, somewhere close by. That's one other thing. But talk about going to Asia, Europe, Africa, the Middle East. Well, that's one of the most exciting things. I mean, you know, obviously we would much rather wish that there was not this pandemic going on, but I think it's had really interesting ramifications for um, accessibility and like both in terms of accessibility for people in communities, you know, that are, say, visually impaired or definitely hearing impaired, um, but also just for everyone, people that can't travel, like you said, like people that just don't have the funds to travel have all all this, you know, for a long time, they've been told, oh, no, sorry, we we can't do this conference online. It's too hard. It's too expensive. We can't get you an interpreter. You know, we can't get a Braille version of this book for you. And now suddenly, because of the pandemic, they're forced to come up with these different workarounds so that these events can still be accessible to everyone. And they're realizing, oh, this actually isn't that hard. You know, 
we can actually just use Amazon and mail a Braille book, or we can just have a Zoom conference. And all you have to do is set up a camera towards the speaker and you're fine. And I think a lot of people are realizing, oh, there isn't as big of a barrier to, to making things accessible. And then when they make it accessible, they see, wow, we've got a much huger audience and we have a much more interesting diversity of voices. And it's actually going to be better for business, too. It's not just like a better way to do things. It's also better for business. So I think that's that's been really exciting to see that now we have access to these conferences that are online. You know, my my friends, I have a lot of friends in the deaf community and they say it's been, you know, they've had their own unique struggles with this pandemic as well. But it's also interesting to see how much easier it has been to get access to to certain things like conferences. And it's easier for people to they're starting to figure out how to use remote interpreters for these conferences in ways that before they'd always said, oh, sorry, this is too hard. So, well, so I think that's I've really exciting. I've been fighting it for years. Mm. I've been fighting for that for years. I've been asking politely for years. Why can't the polyglot gathering be online? Why can't this be online? Why can't the polyglot conference be online? Why can't you stream it? No, you shouldn't have to pay for streaming. Not everything is to be sold. If you mm. have the ACB and the NFB and they have their conferences... And you can stream it for free on 195 the globe. Then why couldn't that happen for someone else that can't be there? They can still listen to it. Well, we only have such and such and blah, blah, blah. And I said, do you want just a select few people that can only afford it to go? Or do you want to open this up to a wider variety of people? You would be surprised how many more people you get to come. If it's yeah, I think it'll be so exciting to see what their turnout is like. I bet you they're going to be shocked because I just went to my first online translation conference last month. And, you know, the translation communities, they're very into conferences. Most of us work from home, so we're very excited to have an excuse to get on a plane. But um, when they first had this first online conference, they were shocked at how many more people they got. It was in just the first hour, they had thousands of people online logged on already. So they're seeing, wow, okay, we can reach so many more people if we do things online. Well, I know that they want to have it in Poland next year, and I think that's great. But I still think if you're going to have it in Poland, you still should have it digitally, too. Yeah, you can still stream it. Right. I think I don't think they should just not only do this one time just because of the pandemic. I think this should be something that they incorporate into their their um, event every single year because not everybody can afford to. No one has money. I mean, and no one has those types of jobs where they can just go. You know. Yeah. I know. I don't. I know that. And so, and I've made it utterly clear to people. I said, yes, I live off of $783 a month. And I get food assistance. And I get health care. And I live under one k a month. And I can tell you right now, it's not a lot. And by the time I'm done paying for everything I need to pay for, and we're not even talking about personal items or anything else, cleaning supplies, I'm lucky to have $170 left in my name for the rest of the month. So, I like to see how I'm supposed to pay for a visa, a passport, hotel, transportation, food, 
Yeah. That, I mean, and I, I mean, I, I've actually left polyglot groups on Facebook just because of the amount of abuse and verbal bullying and discrimination. Um, and I've seen, and it's weird because, um, I've talked to other people where they felt that if you're not learning languages a certain way or you're you're becoming more popular, people become threatened, insecure, mm-hmm. defenseful of what uh you're about. And like I like using food as an example of how to learn a language. So if you're sitting up there and I'm cooking a meal and it's in English and I'm telling you I have dirty rice, I have this fish and I have this what's dirty rice? Oh and then I explain what dirty rice is. Well it's rice with meat and onions and bell pepper and spices. Um, you know, and, you know, people from Latin America, people from Louisiana and the South and African Americans, you know, they, um, cook it and you can eat it with fish or you can eat it with fried chicken, you know, it's a side dish. And so I was explaining that. Well, somebody got upset and had it taken down because I didn't. I didn't, I neglected to explain what, what it was for. 100%. But then when I asked people, can you tell me what you put up here because my screen reader can't read it, they don't want to do that. So I left a lot of groups because of that. And I said, well, if you're going to just have people come into your groups who claim they want to learn languages based off of your method or whatever, and you're not willing to have some type of control over the amount of verbal abuse that's being afflicted upon other people, especially people that have visual disabilities. Uh, I don't want to be in here. And I, I literally had to let myself go out of a lot of places because of that reason. Hmm. Just because of that. And I, and people were like, well, I didn't really, uh, well, how many people are really nice? And there was like, uh, uh, Really? They are? You sure about that? I'm, you know, people are sitting behind a computer screen. They can say whatever they want. You know, and I, people don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about like people getting bullied and, and abused online in the polygon community at all. And I'm like, oh, you, you just don't know. Like I've heard people tell me how they were harassed in, in chat groups. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I stopped doing language exchanges. Oh, uh, cause it was, it, it stopped being about sharing the language that you learn. It was more about, I want a visa and a life. So for me, I'm very cautious now about who I chat with in regards to, you know, I, I, and I also am very cautious about what groups I join. Just because of that reason. 
But I see a lot of that. And there's a lot of people that are on here that they say, I don't join Facebook groups because of the sexism and the racism. And and I'm like, aren't we supposed to be learning languages? It was like, yeah. But you're going to have people like that. I'm like, yeah, which is terrible. Because that's not what it should be about. But you do have that. And it's like Chris for Homestead to me recently. He was like, oh, yeah, you got 90% of the community that's really cool. And then you got 10% of the community that they're not all the way there mentally. Yeah. And, and I said, well, that's fine, but that doesn't give you the right to, you know, treat people like crap because they have a different way of, of learning something or, you know, oh, because you do things one way. Why can't you learn how to do something a different way? Why can't you look at someone else's side of things and see how they do it from their view? Because not everyone's going to do it the same way. And, um, oh yeah, like, it, it got really brutal. It, it got so bad to the point where I tried to defend myself about something in somebody's group. I put up a video. My post got taken down. My video got taken down. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, when my freedom of speech is being challenged, I'm gone. So I left. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. So now I, I'm in, other groups where I'm more accepted as opposed to groups that are ran by people that I admire mm. just because of that reason. And I, and I, I've made that utterly known. I, I wrote certain people that were the head of the groups. I said, I love you to death, but I had to leave and this is why. Mm. But I just, I can't, I can't deal with that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's 2020 for crying out loud. You know, I would thought that we would have been way past, you know, verbally abusing people and, um, you know, making fun of them because their technology doesn't work right or, you know, they can't reprint. So I can't reprint. But if you tell me what you wrote, because they probably scanned it in a JPEG file and because they didn't type it out. My screen reader can't read it. And so I'm always asking people, can you tell me what this said? Because evidently this person forgot to type this out. Well, it's and particularly then, frustrating that this would happen in a polyglot community, right? Because everyone in that community should understand what it feels like to not be able to understand someone. Right. And it, it To me, it's like, Either they're just lazy or they just don't care. So I I stopped taking it personally. And I literally created my own group. Now, I might only have 146 people in it, but I'm very picky because I don't want drama. So I have both sighted and non-sighted people in my group. And everybody's respectful of everybody. But I look at all these people that got like 40,000 people, 30,000, 20,000, 15,000. That's too many people. My head would be swimming every day. And 
honestly, like, the people that I have, they actually enjoy how I do things because I do everything from an auditory perspective. And, I mean, I have people in there that you wouldn't think that were, would, would want to be in there, but they are. And I'm very happy they are. And, you know, I tell people, whatever you want to put, if it has something to do with learning language, whether you're talking about fashion, you're talking about a dress, and this dress is from Italy, and you're trying to put this in Italian or whatever, you see what I'm saying? Just describe what it is before you post it, because, you know, people can't, um, people who have screen readers can't read it, you know, if it's a JPEG file. So you have to put in the description box, this is what this is, you know, this is what the color is, what this looks like, because they can't, they can't see that. So that's one of the rules I have, and no bashing, no bullying. I, I probably had probably about 10 people altogether leave just because I, I did not approve of their behavior. But at the end of the day, I feel that sharing how I do things, and I'll be the first to sit there and say this, I might do this crazy thing just to test myself. But that doesn't mean you have to do it with me. You know, because no one's going to sit and do a whole foundation course in seven hours. I will if I'm that motivated at that moment. I've done that a couple times. And then I put videos up after I finished, you know, showing how much I learned in seven hours. But I would never sit there and tell you this is what you have to do in order to get to that. No, I did it because I wanted to know how much information I could retain in seven hours. But that's for my own personal reasons. It's not for anything else. And I have to let people know that because, you know, I don't want them to do it. And then they'll be like, Chanel, this is the most dumb thing you ever know. I did it because I wanted to. I didn't tell you you had to. So, yeah, I, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, find something you enjoy, whether it's cooking, fashion, movies. You know, you just want to be able to speak conversationally with somebody. How are you doing? What you do yesterday? Blah, blah, blah. You know, how's your family? How's your friends? How's work? You know, I just gave somebody uh, advice recently on career vocabulary. And I said, well, okay, you say you're telling me that you're having difficulties expressing yourself in Mandarin about your career. Well, this is what you got to do. All of the things you want to say, write them down in in your target language, I mean, in, in your native language, and then look up the vocabulary for that and how you would say that in Mandarin. Then that way you can focus on learning that. You know, so when you want to say what you want to say, you can go ahead and say it. And you won't feel so awkward because the gaps are not, filled in because you were trying to figure out how to do that. Well, basically, you just need to look up the vocabulary that you're trying to use for whatever it is that you're trying to say. And um, someone's like, I love this. And I was like, well, yeah, that's what I do. That's the first thing I do when I learn a language. I mean, other than hello, how are you? My name is, where am I from? The basic stuff. But when you want to talk about yesterday, I did this. 
and tomorrow I'm doing this. And I went on the bus to do this. Well, you kind of have to fill in the gaps. Okay, just do a day-by-day thing. This is what I did today. This is what I'm doing, you know, cooking dinner. Okay, so tell me the foods that you're cooking. Memorize the food that you're going to make for that particular meal in that language. That's how you grow your vocabulary. Then that way you can throw it up on a video or something, have someone tell you where your mistakes were, and work on it. They were like, this is a great idea. I'm like, well, yeah, I use this method all the time. Because when you're having a conversation with someone, that's the first thing they're going to ask you. What did you do for the weekend? You know, what are you doing today? What did you do today? What are you going to do today? You know, and so those are the types of things I like to focus people on because they think they need to know everything. I was like, well, do you say everything when you're talking to someone? No. So you don't necessarily have to know everything, you know, verbatim. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think if people are more targeted about what they're learning, they'll realize that they can progress so much faster. And, you know, if they focus on how am I going to respond to cab drivers? How am I going to order my food? How am I going to answer the question? How long have you been studying Korean? You know, things like that. Then you can actually build a lot of confidence because in 90% of your situations, you'll be able to converse. Now, of course, the day may come that someone comes up to you and wants to talk about nuclear physics and you're not able to do that. But, you know, what's the probability that that's going to happen? You know, I I don't think I could talk about nuclear physics in English. So, you know, focus on what you're actually going to need to use and you'll be amazed at at how far it can get you. Oh, yes. And I mean, you know, people are like, I'm. I had interviewed Steve Kaufman, but I have to re-interview him because we were on Zoom and it didn't record. Oh, And it took me me a year to get him. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, I was lucky when I got to get, like, David James to come on the show and I got um, Dr. Krashen and Stu J. Raj. That was a big deal to me. And Dr. Krashen does not do very many interviews. So when Stephen Krashen does an interview with you, there must be something about you that he likes in order to take his time to want to talk to you. Period. So I was jumping up and down like a bunny rabbit after it was all over with because mm-hmm. I was so happy about it. And um, we had a lovely conversation. you know. And I said, oh yeah, I'm in the genealogy and I'm in the you know, people's histories and, and the history of their families and crap like that. And, you know, uh, that's another reason why I like languages, because you you don't just get to learn about how to say something to someone. You're learning about their culture, their psychology, the way they think, the way they behave, what they like to eat, you know, their own political structure so forth and so on, their laws and customs. And that's important because when you're traveling and you're a woman in particular, whether you have a disability or not, you know, you have to know about the laws and the customs and all that because you don't want to go into someone else's backyard and do something and then you want to go into jail and you don't understand why <laughs> you're going for, 
you know, and it could be something as simple as I littered. I mean, I hope it never comes to that point, but I mean, look at the guy who got caned over in Portugal. Was it Portugal? The guy that got caned for graffiti, doing graffiti on a wall or somebody's car or something. Well, he got caned. This was a long time ago. And they had it on the news. And he had to do four, four caning. And, uh, yeah. That wasn't, that was terrible, but he broke the law over in somebody else's country, so he had to pay the price. And, um, you know, I, I did that when I was learning Russian. I wanted to know about the laws and, Especially pertaining to people that were disabled and what the rights were. And, you know, there's just so much that you, you know, I mean, that's like if I came to China. I better know somebody that lives in China. Because my rights are not, my rights will be non-existent in that country. Literally. Because I'm visually impaired. They might educate their blind, but there's... They're seeing some, but not hurt. And a lot of blind people traveled to China, and they were not accommodated very well at all, if any. They wanted to go see the Great Wall of China. They weren't allowed. Yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of be careful where you go, especially if you're disabled. And... uh I know for me personally, yeah, I would love to go see the Great Wall of China. <laughs> but uh I wouldn't go by myself. And, I mean, there's other aspects, like you got to make sure that your dog's inoculated. And if you have a guide dog. And, you know, you got to find out what the customs are and the procedures are for that. And, you know, there's a whole slew of other things that I would have to take into consideration if I were to travel overseas depending on what country I'm going to, so far and so on. And um, not just visa and everything like that. I mean, I can, I got papers where I can take Bono out. I just got to have his vet, like, a couple of days before I leave. You know, I would have, like, a week with the papers um, for him out of the country. So, you know, it, unlike a lot of people, I would, you know, I would be restricted for how long I could be somewhere because of my guide dog papers. So, yeah, I mean, those are the types of things I, I, I talk to my students about too, you know, just because you come to another country, you know, make sure that you kind of know what the laws are and the rules and, you know, the customs and especially if, if you're going to a country where women are treated differently. You know, it's not westernized. Um, you know, you kind of got to know how to navigate that, especially if you're disabled. And, um, yeah, because I know someone who went to the Middle East last year with their family and that they didn't, they didn't talk to the females. They talked to the, they talked to the father. Yeah. And so she was, I was like, okay, you do realize you had to cover up and everything. And she was like, oh yeah, I had stuff to cover myself up. I had, I researched like, you know, what you should be wearing there. You know, I mean, cause there's Americans that have gone over to the Middle East and they had no respect for like the culture over there, especially the women. 
you know, okay, you wear a long cotton skirt. Not, you know, you keep yourself covered. You don't wear shorts and a tank top and this ain't America. (laughs) This is a totally different country. But, I mean, yeah, I've heard stories about how people were offended by certain people's behavior and somebody, as soon as they left, they were so angry that they blew up a bus station and two people died. And I said, that's bad. That is terrible that you're that angry that you're going to turn it out on a whole bunch of people because you have people come from another country that wasn't respectful of your culture. I mean, I wouldn't turn it out on innocent people, but at the same time, too, you see what I'm saying? Like, there are better ways to get your anger out. Killing people isn't one of them. But, you know, I mean, I can understand why people would be, you know, I mean, there are certain sets in the Middle East where you got to be careful because they don't acknowledge women. They don't see women the same way as Western people do. And so you kind of got to be careful. Like even people who come over from the Middle East here, some of them won't talk to women, you know, because that's just how they are. But there are some that will. I don't know if you've experienced that in any of your travels. Definitely, yeah. There's places where outright they won't talk to you. Um, And then there's places where they will talk to you, but they don't really listen to you. Like, there's places where you wouldn't necessarily be respected in the same way as you would a man. Um, And then, you know, America, in the U.S., to some extent, that still is the case in certain parts of the U.S. as well. But you're right that, you know, as a as a traveler and as a woman, you you move through the world in a different way than a man does. And you have to learn another extra set of cultural norms. You know, like you were just talking about how women, when they travel to the Middle East, they have to be careful about what they wear. It's funny because if you travel with a man, the man very rarely is thinking, OK, what what am I going to be able to wear when we go to, you know, this place in the Middle East? It's it's the woman that has to worry, OK, wait, am I is my shoulder are my shoulders covered? Is my my clavicle covered is my are my knees covered those sort of things um and then yeah will i be able to shake hands with a man is that going to be appropriate or um will i even be able to address a man or will that be seen as a certain kind of approach or how do i interact with men when they're approaching me in a certain way all of that is is these extra considerations that that women have to think about when they travel you're right yeah and i i i guess like you know people seem to forget that like you know we're women so whether you have a disability or whether you don't have one you know we have to probably be more careful than the average person the average guy anyway you know I mean and it is weird because from what I was told by my friend who went over to Egypt and I I interviewed her a little while ago and she was telling me she said they don't see a lot of black people from the U.S. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but, um, I told her, I said, well, okay, so what was it like for y'all? Like, you know, I mean, I was like, were you able to use some of your Arabic? She said a little bit. 
Um, but she said, you know, it, it, they don't, they ignore us. They talk to our dad. So, like, her sister had all their paperwork. So she just handed the paperwork to her dad when they were in the airport and everything. It was, that was how they behaved the entire time they were there. Airport, cabs. I was like, wow. I mean, because I've always wanted to go to the Middle East. But, I mean, on one end, you kind of want to be like, are you sure you want to go? Um, because of that reason because I asked whenever you travel that is a difficulty you have to decide you know what are what am I going to accept as just different cultures and different ways of living and what is truly fundamental to my own beliefs and my own comfort my own comfort you know I mean, because I guess for me personally, I, I you know, I, I hear all these different stories and I'm like, I actually asked them, I was like, okay, would I be accepted in the Middle East? And it was like, yeah, you're, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, define that because I am visually impaired. So, you know, I've heard stories about other people that were blind in, in the Middle East and they really don't, depending on what country you are in. You really don't have a lot of rights. So I'm just curious to know, you know, which ones are more westernized versus more non-westernized and, you know, define rights. I mean, I don't want to live in Sudan or Saudi Arabia. And I'm like, you came to study over in the U.S. and you went back because why? Um, well, their parents were quite wealthy. They were in the oil. And so they were totally blind with a guy. And I said, well, do you have access to, well, I have access to the internet and I have access to this, this, and this, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's great, but you really don't have the freedom you had when you were here. Because, I mean, he was able to catch buses, Go grocery shop, do a lot of things for himself that he didn't have the opportunity to do over there where he's from. And I was like, you gave all that up to go, wow. I mean, I guess because if you're born in a Western environment where, you know, you have some rights as a disabled person, you know, why would you want to give that up? To go back to an environment where you don't have the same freedom. I just, yeah, that was kind of hard for me to understand. I, because I knew I could never do something like that. But I know that's just me personally, but yeah, I, I hear stories from people all over the place that are disabled. Places like in the Middle East, India, Asia. I mean, now there are blind people that work in Asia, but at the same time, depending on where you work and where you live, you know, the circumstances are different for everybody, but I know in Afghanistan or Iran, you have no rights. You're born disabled, they look at it as your, um, it's your fault that you're disabled. 
which makes no sense, but yeah. You're not allowed to vote. You, you're not allowed to be educated. You're not allowed to communicate with the outside world. Nothing. Zero. And I was like, oh, wow. That's sad. I mean, because I actually was supposed to teach someone Braille. And they came from uh, Afghanistan. And they spoke Dari. So I went and got a Pimsley Dari from the library and tried to learn basic Dari so I can communicate with the person. And they were taking English lessons at this place called Project Learn here in Akron that I was volunteering in ESL classes, helping people learn English from all over the world. And they asked me, Could I, can I help them learn Braille? And I said, well, he has to be fluent in English and reading and writing English and speaking it in order to be able to um, learn Braille because, you know, you got to be able to understand what the teacher wants you to do. You know what I'm saying? And if you can't understand your wants and needs and you can't tell them in English, then it's going to be it's going to be difficult for me to work with you. And I was going to do this. I was supposed to be doing this for free out of my own time. And they had an interpreter there, but he didn't even know how to say hello, goodbye, how are you, thank you, my name is, nothing basic. And I said, I'm sorry, but I can't if he's not, you know, at least a B1, B2 in England. And his wife just had a baby. And I was just, I felt bad, you know. And I said, well, did, did he have any education in Afghanistan? And they said, no. They don't educate their blind in Afghanistan. And I'm like, okay. Let me know when he's able to speak enough English so, we're, so we could work together. But I never, I never got a call back. But it was just the point. I was going to learn some of his language. In order to be able to communicate, in order to try to help him. And I mean, I learned a lot just from that 30 minute meeting, you know, about how, you know, other blind people around the world are being treated. And I was just like, wow. And then I felt good because I did at least learn a little bit of his language, but, you know, I never saw him again. So. That was that was an interesting event for me. And it, it really changed my outlook on wanting to work with people, you know, from the East. Because of the fact that, you know, a lot of them are coming over here to try to have a better life because of the circumstances that they were inflicted upon, you know, in their own country. And they were going, getting away from. So it... It really did change my outlook on, on why I wanted to use language for in the first place. I don't know if you had that same or similar experience. Sorry, you cut out you cut out a little bit there in the middle, so I might have missed oh, what I said. Uh, oh, I was I was saying did you have um a similar experience of, you know, using language like to like you know, more on an international scale, like wanting to help people, um, like on on an immigrant side of things, or I mean, because I I know for me personally, I guess that's why I'm learning Arabic and I'm learning some of the Asian languages and Turkish and Hindi, is because there's such a large group of of 
those particular pockets of populations here in, in Akron. And I really want to help them, you know, with their English. And so by using their language to communicate with them to help them learn English better, you know, I'm, I'm doing them a service. So I didn't know if you experienced something similar. Yeah, I guess, I guess one of the main reasons, well, yeah, one main reason I like to learn languages is because I, I do feel a little bit guilty when I travel that people feel like they have to speak English with me. Um, like there have been many times when I try to have an interaction and the person, even though we're in a country that doesn't speak English, apologizes because they say, oh, I'm so sorry, my English is so bad. You know, I'm really, you can tell that in that moment they're thinking, oh, I should have studied more in school. And I feel so guilty that they feel that they have to speak English even though we're in their country. So one of the reasons why I've really been trying to get better at the languages that I know is because I, I, I don't want to make people feel like they have to speak English to me just because I'm an American. Like, I'm in your country. I should be speaking your language. So, right. Yeah. Now, are you planning on learning any more languages or are you going to stop at the one? <laughs> um, definitely going to keep learning more languages. Um, right now, I'm really trying to stay focused on working only on Mandarin because it's something I've always struggled with. Excuse me, something in my throat. <clears throat> but um, as you know, um, I love dabbling in a lot of different languages and getting access to just a little bit of many different kinds of cultures. So right. it's been a real struggle to just really focus on one language, especially because I've been studying Mandarin for probably around 10 years now. I started in college. So I'm at a point now where it's it takes a lot of effort to progress because everything's just really hard at this level. But I'm right. really my goal is to really get to a point where I can very comfortably read and write and speak um, Chinese in a professional setting. Because right now my Chinese is very colloquial. It's very much like a home Chinese. Um, right. But after that, after I feel like I've gotten to that goal, or maybe at some point, you know, if I decide I need to take another break, um, there's so many other languages that I really want to learn. I really want to get better at Cantonese. My husband's family are Cantonese speakers, so I really want to be able to speak with them in that language. Um, yeah, Swedish is something I've always wanted to pursue. I studied Russian in, in college but forgot most of it by now, so I really want to go back and learn more Russian. And recently when I was trying to revive my Russian, I got interested in Ukrainian, so kind of went off on a tangent to Ukrainian. So, yeah, same as you, I think, Chanel, like we're constantly being tempted by all these interesting languages because you get a little taste of it and you realize oh, how much culture you're going to get access to from that little that's taste. Just like, it's just the rewarding, that's just like right? Professor Arguelles, mm. Alexander Arguelles, um, he did a three-month um, immersion project in Finland. <laughs> And literally, I was so inspired by what he was doing. I was like, dude, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to go. I want to. <laughs> I just want to go somewhere. I mean, I know this sounds terrible, and I should not be saying this on air, but I am. I love English, but I would give anything not to speak it. <laughs> like, like, just to live in the language, whatever target language I was studying. Like, all day, every day, I would, I would. You know, no English, no nothing. You know, just that language, period. I mean, I could probably pull it off again, but 
at the same time, I kind of personally feel like if I were to go to that country, I don't want you speaking English. I just want to speak your language. I know it. Let's speak. You know, I don't care that I mess up either. But the fact that I'm, you know, you're describing the trees and the forest to me in Finnish. And I'm going to a school with with little kids and I'm learning Finnish. I mean, he learned so much Finnish. In three months, it was unreal. Like, he was at, like, a high advanced level by the time he got done. Mm. I was like, wow. And so, I mean, this sounds crazy. I went to one, I I actually went, and I was writing him on YouTube, and I was saying, how long, how long were you there for? Oh, my God. Like, for real? I, I mean, I went and downloaded the freaking finished course on Mango. Mm-hmm. And that night, I learned how to say, Hello, my name is such and such. And I could, I was just like, and then I went and bought like five ebooks of Harry Potter and Finnish, which I am going to go back to Finnish because I did buy the books and I do want to listen to them. But I mean, I was just like, wow, this is like so freaking awesome. You know, another reason I did it for was because people talked about how hard Icelandic and Finnish were. And I was like, I wish people would stop saying that. This is not difficult. Not really. I mean, yes, it does kind of derive a little bit from Russian, and they do use a case system, and there's more cases in Finnish than there is in Russian. But, I mean, if you figure out the word order, it's really not that difficult. Okay. You know, so I try not to say that a language is, like, difficult. Everybody's like, how can you say this is easy? I was like, because guess what? I like learning. I don't see anything that's difficult. Life is hard. Hey, Chanel, I should probably give you a heads up at this point that I do, um, I have a meeting coming up in the next 10 minutes. So just, uh, just giving you a heads up. Okay, thank you. Um, are there any parting words that you would like to leave (laughs) with my audience? Well, um, since we talked, you know, we talked so much about the pandemic today and, uh, what that's like, how that's affecting the world and how, how it's made the world sort of embrace these new ways of providing accessibility to everyone. I think that I really hope that people that are listening to the podcast and that are interested in learning languages can get creative about the ways that they, that they study languages because it is a really good pastime right now. It's a really good way. If you have that extra time, um, it's a really good way to calm your mind and to kind of calm your soul by focusing on something that takes a lot of focus. So it's it's not only a great skill to learn, but it, it really helps you stay sane in this crazy time. And, you know, you can follow Chanel or you can follow me on um, on social media and see how we do that. We just um, there's so many apps, there's so many you know audiobooks that you can use to to expose yourself to all these languages and don't feel like you have to become fluent, you know, don't feel like you have to set really high goals for yourself. Just enjoy the experience of learning and just reward yourself for being able to, you know, finally say a sentence in Korean. It's, it's really exciting. And I hope that everyone will now in this new situation get a chance to try that. Um, I was going to say, okay. Um, 
thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate for having my me. 12.6K listeners appreciate it uh, from like over 102 countries. Um, I'm this close to being on 13K so far. So Wow, congrats. <laughs> thank you. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening today. And please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on everywhere where you can download a podcast. And you pretty much can download a podcast just about everywhere. Google Play Store, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm. And, you know, be safe. God bless y'all. And um, I will see you guys in the next episode of the podcast. And remember, language learning is a journey, not a race. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the podcast. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye.